Well, good morning. How are you? <laughs> hey, today we are going to take a bit of a break from Matthew after a year and a half. And uh, <laughs> we're not taking a break from the Gospels, though, or taking a break from Jesus. So um, that's good, right? Um, today we're going to be looking at really one of my favorite stories out of the New Testament. This is the story of the woman at the well. And uh, rather than put you through hearing me read 40-something verses by myself, I decided a way to kind of spice things up today, we would be, do kind of a dramatic reenact, uh, re- reenacting of this story with a couple of friends of mine. So that's what we're going to do today. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count of the baptisms that he and John had performed. All those disciples, not Jesus, did the actual baptizing. They had posted the score that Jesus was ahead, turning him and John into rivals in the eyes of the people. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. He came into Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was still there. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. It was noon. A woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Would you give me a drink of water? You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Woman, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am... You would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw water with, and this well is so deep. So how are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Then, sir, give me this water so I will never be thirsty and I won't ever have to come back to this well again. Well, go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband. That's nicely put. I have no husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, though, sure enough. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this. Our ancestors worshipped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman. The time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at the mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you are called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. 
Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do so out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Hmm. Well, I don't know about that. But I do know that the Messiah is coming. And when he arrives, we'll know the whole story. I am he. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked. They couldn't believe Jesus was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking, but their faces showed it. The woman took the hint and left. In her confusion, she left the water pot. Back at the village, she told the people, Come, see a man who knew about all the things I did, who knows me inside and out. Do you think this could be the Messiah? And they went out to see for themselves. Many of the Samaritans from that village committed themselves to him because of the woman's witness. They asked Jesus to stay on, and so he stayed two days. And a lot more people entrusted their lives to him when they had heard what he had to say. They said to the woman, We're no longer taking this on your say-so. We've heard it for ourselves and know it for sure. He is the Savior of the world. Thank you, Tim. Claudia? (laughs) Wasn't that better than just hearing me drone on for... (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I love this story for many reasons, but one of the... the the main reasons is this is this is a story that shows us the boundary transcending love of God. This may seem like a, a very simple scene. It's Jesus, a woman, asking for water. But what is going on here is Jesus is jumping over one fence after another to get to this woman's heart and reveal God to her. So I think there's some things that we can learn from this story today that, that will help us as Christ followers, as people of, of faith, but also help us in our encountering of, of people outside of uh, our little circles, uh, just as Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. So I want us to look at a couple of things that we can kind of pull from this story. Number one, Jesus stepped into her world. This is uh, not an explicit point of the story, but it's something we can notice. Jesus wasn't just set up in Galilee. He didn't just put his headquarters together in Galilee and say, Hey, I'm Jesus. Pass out flyers. Come see the Messiah. He didn't do that. He didn't require people to come to him. He stepped into their world, and we see that with this woman. He, He meets her right in her everyday, ordinary life. Second thing is, Jesus didn't get hung up on the barriers, the boundary markers, uh, the identifiers of the world at that time. I mean, look at everything that Jesus jumps over to get to her. There's the first and obvious barrier between Samaritans and Jews. Now, we can read in this story that there's a problem there, but most of us don't realize what a big deal this was at the time. Realize, when Jesus came on the scene, the Samaritans and the Jews absolutely had a rift. If you were a Jew, you would not be caught dead talking to a Samaritan. And their hatred of the Jewish uh, disdain and hatred for the Samaritans, it went back several hundred years to the time when the Babylonians had actually invaded Israel and, and the Babylonian exile had happened. 
Some of the people who had stayed back in Samaria had intermarried with some of the people there. They developed their own form of, of Judaism, their own holy place on a mountain. And so when the Jews returned from Babylon, from the Babylonian exile, they had a disdain for the Samaritans. Now, you trace that out for several hundred years. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, they just they thought the Samaritans were dogs. You remember that story that Jesus said, the parable of the Good Samaritan? Who's the good guy in that story? A Samaritan. That's why that story packed so much punch when Jesus told it to the Pharisees because the good guy was a Samaritan. That just didn't fit in their grid. Well, in this story, Jesus is breaking through that cultural, nationalistic, ethnic, religious barrier that divided the Samaritans and the Jews. You know, the Jews actually at that time, not only would they not talk to a Samaritan, but they had this kind of... Uh, it was actually known at the time that, that uh, if a Samaritan touched a bowl or a cup, that if you were a Jew, you wouldn't, go, you wouldn't even pick up a cup that had been touched by a Samaritan because you thought you'd get Samaritan cooties. I mean, that's, that's really how, how bad they, they uh, felt about them. So if you were at a restaurant as a Jew and, and a Samaritan was your waiter, you'd have to go somewhere else. That's the way they felt. Jesus, understand what's going on here. He's asking the Samaritan woman to take her Samaritan hands and hold her Samaritan bucket and drop it in her Samaritan well. And he's, he's going to actually not just have a conversation, he's going to drink the same water out of her bucket. It seems kind of simple to us, but he was absolutely breaking through barriers. That's why the woman's like, what? What? You a Jew are asking me for water? You're serious? It didn't fit in, in, in her way of looking at the world. It didn't fit with the way that those two cultures dealt with each other. So Jesus breaks through the barrier between Jews and Samaritans. He also breaks through the barrier of gender, sex. See, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis did not strike up conversations with members of the opposite sex. That's not what they did. Even Jewish members of the opposite sex. Jesus didn't let that be a barrier. He steps into our world. He breaks through the barriers of nationality, ethnicity, culture, and even gender. Another thing we can learn from this story is Jesus didn't demand for the woman to believe in him before he initiated relationship with her. See, we don't see Jesus leading her in the sinner's prayer before he talks to her. He didn't demand for her to believe he was the Messiah before he would start talking to her. You think we could learn something here? He actually initiates a conversation before there's ever faith. The fourth thing that we can learn is this is a great picture of Jesus' relationship with His Heavenly Father. You know, God is in this picture. You know, the Father is in this picture whether we can see it or not. Actually, if you go to the next chapter, John, John chapter 5, Jesus makes an amazing statement. He says, I only do that which I see my Father doing. I only say the things that I hear my father saying. In other words, when Jesus steps up to this Samaritan woman, he doesn't pull out the idiot's guide to dealing with Samaritan people and leading them to Jesus. He he doesn't take a script out on how to talk to Samaritan women. He doesn't have an agenda other than what is the father saying? What is God doing at this moment? And what does this look like with Jesus in this story? Where's your husband? Uh, I'm not married. Yeah. Actually, you're shocking up with a dude that's not your husband. 
And uh, the whole marriage thing, not working out too well for you. you five people so far? <laughs> but understand, when Jesus says this, it doesn't shut her down, does it? It doesn't any later. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone take it upon themselves to point out something you were doing wrong in your life before? <laughs> how, how, how did that... <laughs> pointing at your husband? No. <laughs> How did that work? Did it, did it, did it change you? Not yet. Okay. Have you ever done that to somebody else? You saw something that may be true. They may be doing something wrong and, and, and you're really coming to them more out of kind of a judgmental or critical place and, and it doesn't usually pull off the desired results, does it? What's it do? It usually makes people more defensive or angry. Sometimes you get hit back in the face, uh, whatever. Jesus wasn't operating out of judgmental, critical mind here. He was operating out of relationship with the Father. So when he spoke words of truth, which, understand, most people could have brought up the subject of immorality and she could have just turned her head, walked away, or gotten defensive. That's not what happened here. This is a God moment. God is revealing something to her. And even though it was a shameful thing, it actually breaks through the barrier of her own shame. See, Jesus didn't only break through the barriers of society and culture and religion and ethnicity and stuff. He, he began, he started there, but now we see as the conversation moves on, he's breaking through the barrier of her own shame by his relationship with the Father. He's saying the things that the Father's saying to him. And uh, what we can see here is that it has the effect of actually opening up her heart even more. See, understand that shacking up with a guy that wasn't your husband was, though, though the Jews and the Samaritans had various different ideas on things, that was not cool whether you were a Samaritan or a Jew. In fact, the, the simple truth that this woman was actually out there at the well in the middle of the day getting water instead of when people would normally come out there shows that she probably was even an outsider in her own community, perhaps because of her lifestyle. And Jesus, in confronting this, doesn't shut her down. He actually gets through a layer of her own shame and gets us to the next part that I want us to look at. Fifth thing we can learn from this is Jesus gets to her deep questions about faith. Some have have made... Some have tried to make the case that this woman brings up these questions about, well, where are we supposed to worship, this mountain or in, in, in Jerusalem? Some people have made the case that she was just deflecting. Like Jesus was starting to hit on something that she was ashamed of. So uh, let's talk theology. What do you think about this? I don't think that's the case. Because I think if, if Jesus really would have offended her on that level, I think she'd have probably said, you want a drink? Go get your own bucket. I'm leaving. But she didn't say that. She says, I got a question. Let let me ask you this. Have you ever heard that saying, there's no such thing as a stupid question? We know that's not true, don't we? (laughs) How do we know that there is such a thing as a stupid question? Because we've all asked stupid questions, right? When you ask a stupid question, you you don't think it's stupid, do you? You think it makes perfect sense in your mind to ask a question like that. You only realize it's a stupid question because of the snickers. Because of the the way people are turning their heads in embarrassment, the way people are looking down their nose at you, you realize at that moment that, oh, wow, I've just said something. I look like a complete idiot to these people. 
So we learn over our life, after you've asked two or three of these questions in your life that have been stupid questions, you learn to kind of keep certain things to yourself, don't you? And you learn around certain people, you just don't bring things up. It doesn't matter how much you have a question in your heart, you're just afraid to bring them up. You're intimidated by the way other people think. Well, this woman is not intimidated by Jesus now. Because Jesus is breaking through one thing after another. And she begins to share some of the deep questions of her heart. These may have been questions she had asked religious people before. And they're like, I can't even believe you're asking something like that. But she opens up. And she gets down to the core uh, things that she struggles with concerning religion, spirituality. God, I mean, Jesus, she doesn't know he's God yet. But she says, Jesus, what about worship? Are we supposed to do it on this mountain or in the temple in Jerusalem? And listen to Jesus' answer. He says, woman, you know, there's coming a day and, and you're in luck because it's actually happening right now at this very moment where worship is not going to be about going to a mountain or going to a temple. It's going to take place wherever you are. It's how you live your life and what you do and, and the pursuit of God from the core of your being. That's what it's all about. I love Jesus' answer because what does it do? It breaks through more barriers. Till finally this woman, the, the kingdom just finally breaks in on her. All of her arguments, intellectual, her shame, her ethnicity, her, her gender, her race, her religious things, everything that would have been a barrier, gone. And the kingdom breaks in on her. And how do we know that? Because she starts changing the direction of her life and she starts falling after Jesus. Not only that, she brings her friends from the village. They follow after Jesus. I love this story. It's one of many stories that we can see in the New Testament where Jesus is concerned, where you see this breaking through barriers to get to people. And... It's not just in the Gospels. We actually see the Apostle Paul wrote on this uh, in many times about how in Christ, all of the barriers, all the determining identifiers, whether they be cultural, ethnic, racial, gender, all of those things in our world have been dealt with in Christ. I think for those of us who are Christ followers in here, you realize that, that wherever you happen to be when you actually surrendered to God, it was okay, Right? Do you agree that there was nothing that could keep you from God's love? I mean, I know the night that I actually surrendered to God, I was in my living room smoking pot and drinking whiskey and trying to deal with life and and semi-suicidal. I was just in a bad spot. I wasn't at a church service, but I encountered God. There was no barriers. The, the, The reality is... A lot of people in the world around me didn't want to have anything to do with me. They saw things in my life as being barriers. But God didn't see them as barriers. That didn't keep me from God. He encountered me right there. And I think while we understand this on on an individual level, we realize that God met us where we're at. It's a little bit harder when it comes to our relationship with other people. Well, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 3.28, one of several places, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. What Paul is saying is that the fundamental reality of what Christ has done is that he's he's done away with the barriers. People 
outside of Christ, they may divide up the world into Democrat, Republican, black, white, Chinese, Mexican, upper class, lower class. That's the way people in the world may divide up things, but not so for those of us who are in Christ. In Christ, the only identifier that matters is Jesus and, and, and where we stand with him. And so this absolutely has to affect the way that we live our lives. It has to be the reality in which we live if we are sincerely following after Christ. If God didn't have any barriers on getting to me, if God didn't have any barriers on getting to you, then how can we see things in our world as barriers for relating to other people? You with me? I'm not getting too many amens here. A hula hoop. How many of y'all would like to see me hula hoop this morning? <laughs> we just got some sick people in the vineyard. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You know, this hula hoop represents my worldview. We each have a hula hoop, okay? Even though you didn't necessarily bring it. We each have a lens through which we see the world. And it's a way that makes sense to us. And if everybody could just see the world like us, we'd be okay, right? The problem is everybody has one of these things. And it's reflective of your your family background, uh, you know, where you were born in the world, the political affiliation your parents had, whatever. It, the combination of your hurts, your disappointments along the way, it's all been, uh, it's all helped you build this way of looking at the world. So I grew up out in a, a, a town out in West Texas called Midland, Texas. Very conservative place. I was, uh, you know, in a white middle class family. I was an only child. Uh, there were certain things I experienced growing up and, and in my teenage years and, and gradually they built this worldview that makes sense to me. But your worldview is different. And we don't only do this just when it comes to our own selves, do we? We, we tend to group ourselves in larger circles, don't we? We group along uh, political lines. We group along beliefs. We, we group along people who are, are in our socioeconomic status, people who think, share the same views about life, don't we? And I want to look at a couple of things that I think will help us today. One is called a bounded set. Now, I never thought I would use anything from the world of math in, in, in speaking, but today, <laughs> today I am. Uh, math is one of those subjects that, that has just been not very fun for me, but I'm making my math teacher happy. Bounded set. This is a pretty easy thing to, to understand here. You're either in or you're out. Right? So we could use this to talk about women versus men. Women on the inside, men on the outside. There's certain boundary markers. I'm not going to do a biology lesson here. Um, you could use this to talk about uh, conservatives versus liberals. Conservatives in here, liberals out here. So the boundary would be certain ideas about uh, the size of government, the role of government, um, taxes, whatever. You get it? The problem is we take this type of thinking and we, we, we tend to, without even realizing it, we bring it into our Christianity, don't we? 
And so our Christianity becomes defined very much by the boundary. So the boundary may be praying the sinner's prayer. It may be showing up to church on the weekends, maybe listening to Christian music. And depending on whatever Christian group you get around, this boundary may be very thick. It may be, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Um, it may be, it may be that you show up in a three-piece suit every weekend for church. It may be, you know, it's a certain set of beliefs on political issues, whatever. But you're in or you're out based on your belief, based on doing certain things. And so you, you get in this circle. And there's not necessarily a problem with some of these identifiers. I mean, but, but some of them are very cultural. Some of them are very cultural. They have nothing to do with following Jesus. But they become who's in the club, who's out of the club. And the problem for us as Christians really comes down to our mission of sharing Jesus with other people. Because I think most of us in here who've encountered God, we believe that following Jesus is the absolute best thing you can do with your life. It's the first time that, that I've ever had meaning. I've experienced freedom. It's the, I've experienced the unconditional love of God. It's, it's the best thing. But the problem is, in my hula hoop here, I may be you know, yelling out to a, a professor from UNO who's an atheist, a secular person, hey man, Come over to my hula hoop. It's awesome over here. It's the best thing ever. Jesus will change your life. But, you know, the problem is, to that atheist professor, this is going to seem very cultural. He's not going to want to go through these boundaries to join me. No matter how excited I am, no matter how much I say Jesus has changed my life, he's not going to want to do that. Because why? It, for him, it'll sound like he's got to throw his hula hoop away. To join me in my hula hoop. And most people don't want to throw the hula hoops away, do you? I like my hula hoop. <laughs> Reality is most people won't get rid of their hula hoop unless they absolutely bottom out. I mean, you may get to a point in your life where you were just at the bottom. You lost your dr- job. You're addicted to drugs. You, you lost your family, your house, whatever. I know that's what happened to me, you know, when I was in my room you know, the night I gave my life to Jesus, yeah, I was ready for a new hula hoop. I realized the hula hoop I had wasn't working. But most people that we meet in our life, they're not ready to throw away their worldview, their culture in a moment, are they? Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, the people at our universities, they're not ready to just throw their worldview away, even though we say this is the best thing in the world because it seems very cultural to them. And our problem is we spend so much time on the boundaries, on the beliefs. If you could just believe this thing and do this and this and this, then you could join me. And most people don't don't want to start there. Well, I think what we can learn from the story of the woman at the well, a better way to be people of faith in the world around us is called centered set. Now, in the centered set illustration right here, another term for math Two in one day. Um, In a centered set, objects are grouped not by a boundary, but they're grouped by their relation to a central point and and their movement towards or away from that. So in our our illustration, we're going to say Jesus is the central point. So in this way of thinking, 
where you are is not so much important. It's where you are going. Where is the movement in your life? What does this look like in, in, in the Gospels? Well, in the Gospels, we had this group called the Pharisees that Jesus was, you know, at odds with uh, it, it, in many instances. The Pharisees were very close to Jesus when it came to culture, when it came to morality, when it came to beliefs about, you know, the, the law and the prophets. They were very close to him. But where were they moving? Were they moving towards Jesus or away? They were moving away. And that's why Jesus would tell the Pharisees things like, you know, you guys search the scriptures because in the scriptures you think you have life, but the very scriptures you're looking at are pointing to me and you're missing the point. You can't even see me, the one who the scriptures are talking about right in front of your face because they were moving away from Jesus. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we see a prostitute, a Roman soldier, Matthew, the tax collector, uh, even the Samaritan woman over here. These people were pretty far from Jesus, either culturally or morally or even race. But the prostitute who turns towards Jesus under a centered set way of thinking, she's, she's in a much better situation, isn't she? Because she's starting to head to him. See, I think this is a much more productive way for us to understand things. How would this look in the church? Well, this, the way we would understand this these days is that, okay, maybe 20 years ago you, were, you went to a Billy Graham crusade and you said the sinner's prayer and you've been showing up to church ever since. Okay, well, great. Well, where is your life moving right now? Are you just showing up to church because it's become a cultural thing to do? And it's just, you know, hey, you know, we had kids. It's what you're supposed to do when you have kids, right? You're supposed to start going to church so you can take your kids to church. Uh, But where is your heart and relationship to Jesus right now? Are you going after him? Are you... Are you inviting his work in your life? Or have you, begin, have you begun to, even in the midst of your bounded way of thinking, have you begun to move a different direction? See, the emphasis here is not on obeying rules. It's where are you going with your life? Where are you moving? See, I, I think a, a, a good way of looking at this is marriage. You know, Dina, my wife, and I will celebrate 12 years of being married uh, in a few weeks, August 2nd. Is the point of our celebrating our anniversary, is the point of that that we simply went through a ceremony 12 years ago? I mean, that's, that's a point. I mean, great. Yeah, we got married. We, we might pull out some pictures and look at how funny we looked back then and how much weight I put on since... Uh, since we got married. <laughs> but the point isn't that we just had a ceremony 12 years ago. The point is where are our hearts in relationship to one another right now at this very moment? Because we all know you can be married and your heart can drift, can it? You can start heading in a different direction. Actually, I mean, Dina and I, I mean, there's, there's been points where, you know, our hearts start to drift. And when that happens, boy, you better get on that thing. You better, you better realign your marriage or else you're just going to end up with a shell of a marriage. You're going to end up with something that has the boundaries, markers of marriage, but it's got no life in it. 
See, that's the point of our Christianity. Not that we get in the circle, but that our hearts are continually going after God. See, the problem with, with this kind of bounded set way of thinking, it's so prevalent in our world, and we spend all our time as Christians just fighting about beliefs with people. And fighting about beliefs, just like confronting somebody when they're wrong, isn't going to get us too many places, even if we're right, is it? We need to be people who can meet people wherever they're at. No matter how different their hula hoop, their circle, their worldview looks from ours. We need to be people who can do that. Which means that we've got to watch out what we let ourselves get dragged into. A very simple thing here. There may be things that make sense to you based on... Uh, a conservative way of looking at, at, at the world and politics. Or you may be a person that things make sense to you based on a liberal view of things. And I'm not saying it's bad to have beliefs on how things could be. But we've got to watch where we get dragged. Because, because you might be of a conservative persuasion, you might just start turning on Fox News because that, that's a little bit more in line with conservatism. Bit by bit, instead of watching news, though, you start getting dragged into some opinions. And bit by bit, the things you identify, you begin to group yourself in that group. And let me tell you, the Republicans want to rule the world. (laughs) They do. They want power. So do the Democrats. The Democrats want to rule the world. They're in this to take over the world, okay? I mean, they want their point of view to dominate. They're they're in it for power, okay? (laughs) But they're not the kingdom of God, are they? Republicans are not the kingdom of God. Some of y'all need to hear that. <laughs> that. That might have cleared some things up for some of you. Republicans, Democrats, they're not the kingdom of God. And, and we, we have to be very careful because we can be sitting here with things that make sense to us from our own worldview. And, and bit by bit, we can get drawn into a much bigger circle that has nothing to do with following Jesus. It's got more to do with cutting up the world into different groups in taking sides, and we don't need to take sides. That's not our battle. Feel free to vote. Feel free to have political beliefs. But whenever we start grouping ourselves into people who are venomously opposed to other people in society, we have missed the point of following Jesus. Jesus breaks the barriers down. He doesn't get involved and taken sides. Believe me, there were people in Jesus' day who wanted him to take sides with the zealots or the Pharisees, and Jesus refused to get involved in that. His kingdom was not of this world. It was from another place. His only agenda is what is the Father doing? What is the Father saying? And how can I be a part of that? I'm not getting a whole lot of amens here. (laughs) I just want to close with a couple of ideas here, a couple of questions. Number one, where where are you in relation to Jesus right now? Well, I've been coming to church. That's not the question. Yeah, well, I I serve on the, the hospitality. That's not the question. 
where are you in relationship to Jesus now? Take away all these boundary things, all these things that, that you associate culturally with your Christianity. Where are you in relationship to him right now? Are you still going after him? You still seeking his will in your life? You still listening? You still care what Jesus has to think on things? You still open to what he's saying? No. You know, reality is I'm, I may have been adrift for a while now. Well, today I implore you to, to, to tweak those things. Recalibrate, as Phil was saying last week. Realign yourself back in relationship today. Because that's the central thing. It's not, do you show up to church? Do you go through these cultural things? Where is your heart? And so what do you do in your marriage if you start to drift a bit? Well, you may need to go to marriage counseling. You may need to cut some things out of your schedule. You may need to start spending more time with your spouse instead of the TV. You know, same thing with Jesus. You may need to, to cut a few things out, maybe... Take a walk and talk. Have a little talk with Jesus. The second thing I want us to ask is, how might we meet people where they are at and help point them towards Jesus? How can we do what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman? If we're not going to relate to people just on our boundaries or their boundaries, how can we just meet them where they're at and help point them towards Jesus, help them experience God right where they're at before they have to believe anything Christian or anything political or anything that we might believe? How can we simply meet them where they're at? Now, this is a question that has no answer at the moment in a sense of there's not one answer that's going to fit every one of you. This is a question I want you to wrestle with, though, in your own life because it's going to look different from your, for your neighbors. It'll look different for your professor at UNO. It'll look different from your people around the water cooler at work. How can we begin meeting people and not fighting over boundaries, not trying to get them to change their culture, but just experience God right where you're at? Which brings me to the final thing today. If you turn your notes over to the back, you'll find this thing called Pick Six. This is not the new lottery scratch-off from Louisiana Lottery. <laughs> Dang. This is, just a, this is just a real practical way that we can try some of what we're talking about right now, okay? This is a real practical way that we can just say, hey... Let's try to be these kind of people that don't think within boundaries, but that just help people experience God right where they're at. I want you to, to write down the names of six people that are not currently Christ followers from anything you know, or people who have been Christ followers at one time who've begun to veer off the course for a while. And I want you to write their names down. You may be in here this morning and you say, well, I'm not a Christ follower. Great. This is really good for you. Because this is a great experiment where you get to see if, if God even necessarily exists and if he'll show up, okay? This is, we're just going to actually try to see if God might show up. And, and what I want us to do is I want us to spend the next six weeks praying for these people. You know, I, I find something interesting about prayer. Have you ever tried praying for somebody you disagree with rather than just arguing with them? really begins to soften your own heart. You really get to get into their world even when you're not around them. 
you stop seeing the differences as walls and fences and boundaries. You begin to, to enter into their world. Well, you may say, oh, I don't even believe in prayer. I don't even believe in God. That's great. It's even better if you don't believe in prayer this morning. Just see if perhaps in praying for some of your friends uh, that maybe God will show up in their life. Let me ask you this. Those of you who have become Christ followers, did, did you ever experience God before you had kind of stepped over the line? Anybody? I know I did. I had a few encounters with God along the way before I ever actually said, I'm following Jesus, no turning back. So our, our fundamental belief in this experiment, the things that we're basing this on is, number one, we believe God is good, right? Amen. Secondly, we believe that God wants to be experienced. We actually believe here in the vineyard, we believe some crazy things. We actually believe you can experience God. I mean, wasn't that an amazing testimony from that, that girl who, who, who actually got healed after she got baptized? She experienced God. She wasn't in a church service. She experienced God. We believe that people can experience God. Thirdly, we believe that people can experience God no matter where they're at, no matter what they believe, no matter what kind of horrible things they are involved in, we believe they can experience God right there. And the fourth thing, we believe that Jesus actually wants us to be a part of it. You get that? God actually wants you and I to be a part of His plans for reconciling creation unto Himself. That's good news. Jesus spent his entire ministry with 12 knuckleheads and then put it over in their hands and let them run with it. Jesus wants us human beings, his followers, to be a part of it. So that's kind of the, the fundamental values here. So all I ask is that you take somebody on your list. I got this friend, Mike. Lord, I know Mike's having problems on his job. I know that there's a lot of stress in his marriage. God, I just pray that that you'd bless him, that you'd work these things out. That situation with his boss and the, that tension there and that stress, I pray that you, your peace would come in there. God, you would, you, would, you would bring stability in that situation. And Lord, if there's anything you want to tell me to, to tell my friend, then great. If there's anything that I can do, then I'm open to that. Is that a hard prayer? No. Anybody can do that. We're not saying you have to spend three hours every morning praying for all these people. And so next time you see your friend Mike, hey Mike, how's life going? I just want you to know, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for you that, that, that God will intervene. You don't have to get all crazy, but I, I'm, just, I'm just praying that you'll experience God in this situation. And so when Mike begins to experience God in that situation, you have just seen God showing up and Mike just sees God showing up. Yeah, well Mike didn't believe in God. That's all right. Maybe he's taken a step closer to faith now because he's actually experienced God's goodness in his situation. Yeah, well, well Mike's doing some things that are very unchristian. Yeah, that's, that's even better. You see this, where this is going? You get it? We're just looking for some simple ways to change the way that we relate to people who are outside the faith. Because I believe if you're a Christ follower, you do want other people in on it. I mean, once, you're, you're, once you've gotten... Ruined by the love of God. There's nothing else that you can go back to. We just have to change the way that we're doing it. 
Why don't you stand up? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that no matter where any of us are at, that there are no barriers between us and you, God. There's nothing that you wouldn't go through to meet us. No situation. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that don't get hung up on barriers, Lord. God, we really want that. I think we all know that that's the right thing, God, but it's so easy to get dragged into politics. It's so easy to get dragged into the fighting over classes and, 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 and us versus them and, and uh, issues, God. It's so easy for us to take sides in battles that we don't even need to fight. So, Lord, this morning, God, we ask for your help, God, that we could turn to you, God. And, Lord, that we could be people who, just like you with that Samaritan woman, Lord, that we could meet people right where they're at and we could be people that hear from you and speak what you're saying. So, God, just as we try this experiment for the next few weeks, God, we just um, we pray for your help and your guidance in this. And, Lord, that even through our prayers we could enter into the world of those who are different from us, those who are in different circles, those who see the world differently, God. And that we could be a part of them experiencing your love, your kingdom breaking in. In Jesus' name, amen. So all I ask is that you fill out those things, put it in your wallet or your purse so you can kind of be reminded of it. And let's see what God might do. If you need some prayer this morning, come down here to the front. Otherwise, uh, see you next weekend.